0: I was reviewing show notes this morning and I ran across possibly the best headline ever written, full stop. Best headline ever written, full stop. Man dies after being struck by train. Yeah, no shit. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Nine cents. Nine cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. I'm your host, Reverend Campbell. It's great to have you. It is November 15th, and as of today, we have 54,490,937 worldwide cases of COVID 19, with 1,320,696 deaths. And I got a great show for you. That's right. In The Devil's Advocate, we're going to be talking about how to keep Satanism exotic. In Infernal Informant, Egypt uncovers more than 100 sarcophagi in ancient burial ground. And tips for hosting a smaller, safer, successful pandemic Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) I thought we needed a little bit of levity, a little lightness after last week's heavier episodes, so I went really light. (laughs) Uh, And then we're going to close it out with uh, even more lighthearted fun. Enola Holmes. This is a film uh, that was released on Netflix. We'll talk about it at the tail end of the show. How you guys doing? I don't know if you know this. I'm streaming in 4K. So that means there are a lot of potential issues, but then potential benefits. Uh, one issue is I'm gonna possibly drop a lot of frame rates. I shouldn't, I tested it earlier today and it hasn't happened yet. So fingers crossed on that one. And the second is that the audio and video may not be synced up perfectly. Now I worked on this earlier today with my wife so if you think the audio is before or after the video, please let me know and I can make adjustments on the fly here or after the fact. But either way, I appreciate your input on whether you even want this in 4K or whether it should even be on the radar at all. It's a concern <laughs> because I make it one. Um, they must not read from the book. You thought you missed it when you saw a notification earlier, yeah. Okay, so, uh, Sean, good to see you. Thanks for joining us live. Valeria, how you doing, hon? William, good to see you, man. Zachary, what up? Gary, how you doing? And, uh, dog, what's up, my girl? (laughs) My girl? Oh, man. I'll tell you what. 4K has been the bane of my existence. It does, I get no benefit from it. I'm just wanting to give you the best possible quality that I can. Good, good. Thank you, Count. I appreciate it. Um, Okay, so we switched out our router, and I'm hardwired into the wall, literally the outlet. And it's just traveling through a... Yeah, next step, 8K. You can see every tiny little (laughs) imperfection in my skin that you can't see yet. Um, No, I I, I like it. I just like the idea of, of, you know, high quality. Whether you receive it in that way or not... I like the idea of presenting it in that way. It just makes me feel better about what I'm doing. Um, And that's kind of it. I don't really have anything to talk about as an opener. (laughs) So how about we just dive into the devil's advocate and just get rolling with the show. Oh, really quick note um, for those of you, because it's a 4K, that also means that the latency, meaning the time it takes me to say something, versus the time it takes you to see me say that something is longer than normal. And so there's going to be a longer delay between what I'm talking about and what you're hearing me talk about. So any comments that you have in reaction to what I've talked about are going to be 45 seconds or so after I've already spoken to it. So if I don't get to your comment quickly, understand that, that latency is why. And it's just a factor of compressing uh, a 4K stream and not being able to speed it up. It's just a reality that YouTube puts on us. And so, you know, if you're not okay with that, um, I don't know, preempt what I'm going to say and comment on it. And then when I get around to it, I'll be able to reply in time. Good, good, good to see. Uh, Good to see that note there, dog. Uh, I am feeling a little bit, I didn't do my hair. Normally I like comb everything up and I didn't do that. I hope you guys are okay with that. Let's dive into the Devil's Advocate. Oh, I hit the wrong button. (laughs) there's a good reason for that William uh I like you guys to focus on me and what I'm saying not my background and so I adjust my gain and exposure accordingly all right I gotta throw up the image because uh we're gonna talk about satanism (laughs) space aliens are made of cheese how did you know I was gonna go there um okay so this is something that I've often thought about and it's something that i reflect on probably more than i should um but the fact is is when i first started looking into the religion of satanism or to be honest the first time i was introduced to it it was through the lens of the perpetual lies of the 80s Uh, and so satanism was this dangerous idea and this exotic religion that um really held a lot of mystery And uh, this allure of ancient wisdom. And what you find when you actually start reading about the religion, you read the standard Bible, you read uh, collections of essays that were released by hierarchy after the fact, after the organization was formed and the religion was codified, you realize that it is filled with ancient wisdom still. And it's really only exotic as you make it. And one thing that I've done with this show and in communicating Satanism for almost a decade now is. I'm afraid I've normalized it maybe a little bit too much. And I say that because I just I've I become so comfortable with talking about it that for me, it's very just like, oh, yeah, it's just that religion that I, I hold that, you know, informs a, a piece of who I am as an individual and. You know, I don't think of it in the same exotic way that I did when I first discovered it. And what I realized um, early on was that that frame of mind was something that was just within me. And it was something that I was able to actually shift a little bit. And so there's a couple techniques and tricks that I've used in order to keep it as potent, as um, exotic... As I adore it to be, and one thing you know it 's hard to claim you're a part of the alien elite if it's not really elite <laughs> right? If, if the religion itself loses that magic for you how how are you going to continue feeling magical? so um, it's something that again I've often thought about uh. We all came into this religion from different avenues with different understandings of what it meant and what it actually was, whether it's exotic or raucous or bombastic. Um, The presentation of some basic fundamental principles that define what the religion is, um, is really straightforward when you just look down the nine satanic statements. There's nothing really crazy in there at all. It's all pretty normal for us Satanists who read it, right? It, it, it resonates with us because we find ourselves within the text, but there is something still a little special about it, right? It's what drew you and connected you to it. That's what's special about it. It's what everyone else finds aversion to about it. It's a theater aspect of it, right? So whenever someone thinks about um, Catholic rituals, for example, If you witness those rituals in English versus Latin, it becomes a little normalized. There's an exotic element to it being in a foreign tongue. You not being able to understand exactly what's being said, is kind of exciting. It's like when you read the Enochian keys in English translation, it's very literal and, and direct. Whereas if you read them in Enochian pronunciation, They're a little bit more magical, a little more potent. They drive up those adrenal energies, help you cultivate that power that is uh, inherent within you, right? That's what I like to tap into all the time. It's what I find magical about life. When we were kids, we found virtually everything magical. As soon as you grow up, you learn a little science, you start understanding why things operate the way they do in the natural world, and things sort of lose their magic. But they don't have to. You can tap into that. And that's really what Satanism is all about when you get past the founding principles of it, right? It's the aesthetic. It's that look and feel. (laughs) I immediately start going to advertising in my head, sorry. Might try some mushroom tea, loose leaf tea. What are you guys talking about? Satanism is still exotic to you, but it's very much what you make of it and how you present yourself. I absolutely agree. So here's what I'm going to bring to the fray here. A couple little ideas that help me keep Satanism magical. And really, when I think about this, the magic of exoticism that elevates those adrenal energies um, we generate in, in ritual or in life. Um, exposure sort of dulls that down for me. It's like, uh, the magic of dressing up for Halloween. People wait all year, and then finally they get to don that costume, and they get to go cr- prowl the streets at night. It's magical because they only do it one night a week. I mean, one night a year. Uh, you know, for those who celebrate Christmas in whatever form. It's magical because it's just that one night of the year. Well, if every single day you're dressing uh, in every single version of a Baphomet that you can find in every piece of article and jewelry, well, maybe the Baphomet starts to lose its allure because you're normalizing what was never meant to be normal. And I know people do it because they want to either you know share their affiliation or it's just an aesthetic choice like this rock and roll choice of theirs to... You know paint themselves pink with satan and you know feel dangerous or like the bad boy or girl by doing it but what it does is actually dulls down the power of those symbols and not just to you to everyone around you and so i like to just pull back a bit i like to selectively adorn myself now with tattoos Am I going to show the tattoo on a particular day or in a particular event? If I'm wearing jewelry, am I going to choose to allow someone to see that piece of jewelry? Maybe I'll have it hint with an open button and they just see the top angles and sharp curves. Uh, the, the, the sharp angles and the curves of the sigil of Baphomet hanging from my neck. Not sure what it is they're seeing, but they can see a shape. Something ancient feeling. And that adds this air of mystery, this air of aesthetic pleasure for me, knowing that it's out there. It's almost applying the law of the forbidden to these ancient symbols <laughs> of really circles and stars when you want to break it down, but in the shape and configuration of a sigil of bathment is actually really potent, right? So it's presentation. It means everything. So you'll never see me in a, a Church of Satan bandana with a Church of Satan face mask, with a Church of Satan jacket, and a Church of Satan pair of pants, and Church of Satan shoes with laces with little sigil of Baphomets hanging off of them. I, I, I find that appalling. I find it revolting. It's, it's like Hot Topic vomited all over you. And there's nothing satanic about that. Satanism. Satanism is about being yourself and just letting a little bit slide, a little bit slip out. So whether it's a glimmer of a little stocking on a thigh from a slit of a dress a little bit too high, or maybe it's uh, the, the, the physique showing through the shirt that you choose to wear to let people know, oh yeah, they're fit, they work out, they know what they're doing. Or maybe it's just the corner of a sigil of mitt or a tiny pin on your jacket you have to get real close to see what it actually is. Little things like that, little accoutrements to your regular attire or shifts in your regular attire applied with a little bit of lesser magic is actually much more satanic than just draping yourself in satanic symbols. That helps make it so it's not normal. You're not normalizing Satanism in that aspect. You're capitalizing on it very very powerful very important it's what i like to do um i don't like to habitually practice greater magic ritual yes i have implements yes i could but i don't need to the fact is is that greater magic ritual is part magic lesser and greater is what is a large part of what makes satanism as a religion very exotic and exciting for a lot of people um and so where you use lesser magic on a daily basis, and for you it's very comfortable and normalized, greater magic, actually, it's, it's a lot more secretive for me. It's a lot more special because I don't engage in it on a regular basis, and I wanna keep it that way. And that means that the artifacts that I use, aside from <laughs> obviously the Sigil of Baphne on my wall, um, like the robe I like to use, the necklaces that I like to wear, the, um, the sword, um, I've got my bell up there, but I never really touch it or, or mess with it unless I'm filming or I'm actually performing uh, a ritual. Um, these implements, I try to keep them in their space, isolated from my daily life so that I'm not constantly having them in my mind so that when I do turn to them, it's rare and it's special. And that, that isolated moment of engagement adds to that potency that I'm trying to generate, that adrenal energy that you're trying to cultivate in ritual. That's what I like to do. Um, I'm going to get to that count here in just a second. Give me a second here. Uh, here's one that, that just... I've harped on this for a long time, so I I hope you guys aren't sick of me saying it, but I'm going to say it again. Um, Practice stratification even amongst Satanists. I hate the Satanic Collectors. I cannot stand the Collectors. It drives me insane when I run across a Satanic Collector. So a Satanic Collector is someone who, in, in social media, likes and tries to follow and have friends. Friends. Um, we- you know, have them follow, uh, your profile. Of every Satanist you can find. Surrounding yourself in evil Satanists. Not only are you normalizing what is a very shitty thing to do as a human being, and that's just collect people as if they were badges and not individuals, but also, you're not getting any borrowed equity from being on their list. Chances are, they may click a follow or they may accept your friend request, but they never think about you, so you're not actually a friend. This is all just for your own sick satisfaction. So, isolating your exposure to other Satanists, so that when you do engage with other Satanists in some way, it's special. It's important. It has meaning. It's not just going to coffee every morning like you do on a regular basis. No, when we get together, it should be pop in circumstance because we don't do it every day. Because we have lives that we are leading. We have accomplishments that we are chasing. We're not focused on palling around with other Satanists with all of our symbols hanging off every inch of our body. Those are posers. <laughs> Those are Satanists. So I like to, I like to limit my satanic footprint, <laughs> as you will. Um, and keep it small. Uh, keep it meaningful to me. Not for anyone else's standards, and certainly I don't suggest any of you should limit your exposure because that's what I do. Find out what works for you and and follow it, of course. This is just, these are the things that I like to do. um, To keep this religion special and magical and exotic for myself. Uh, So I limit my exposure, I practice stratification as much as possible um, from other Satanists, and it works wonders, i tell you what. Not only do you not get drawn into the insane drama that inevitably follows group thinks, but... You also get to then focus on the cream that rises to the top that you would only hear about if it was really special, right? Projects that everyone's just spitting out all the time that, you know, everyone is being inundated with aren't really that special. But if something breaks through my attempts to stratif- uh, 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 be separate from all of that noise, if it breaks through that din, well, then it's something really special and I really like that so it helps me filter basically um let's see uh keeping your altar or artifacts away do you not practice ritual habitually yeah so I, I talked about the artifacts of ritual but I want to touch on the idea of of performing ritual greater magic ritual is a tool that you use it, it's not a play uh, there are ceremonies That are used as plays. And the Satanic Rituals is full of them. The book. The Satanic Rituals. um, These are ceremonies that you just. You know. Some are set to specific time periods. So it's historical enactments. Or uh, homages to periods of time. Or events in time. Sometimes it's just because it's a solstice or something. That you want to do something special. um, But when you're actually performing a greater magic ritual it should it should have meaning so it should be rare it should not be something that you're practicing every single day on the hopes that you're just gonna get it right and and finally that guy that's been bugging you down the street is gonna die <laughs> if that's what you're using to, of course destruction rituals all you want but the point is to get the frustration out if you're not doing that and the the first time that you ritualize then you're not ritualizing correctly The point is that it's rare that you go into the chamber. The point is when you go into the chamber, if you're not actively celebrating something, you're trying to get over something that's hindering you, right? You're trying to realize a desire of yours. You're trying to provide compassion for something. You get in there, you do it, and you move on. You don't do it over and over and over and over again on the hopes that one of these times it's gonna work. (laughs) that is not satanic at all in fact there's this really good um line uh the the doctor wrote in uh i think it was the devil's notebook he's like uh, at first if at first you don't succeed try try again if you still don't succeed try someone or something new i'm paraphrasing but the point is don't keep doing something that's not working try different approaches um and i think you should be doing that with greater magic as well Uh, Keep perspective in mind, understand what we practice in contrast to how others perceive it. So I I spoke to this a little bit at the very beginning where um, we have normalized this religion in ourselves, right? We live it, we breathe it, we understand it, we study it, we question it, we challenge it. Uh, this, This is a normal thing for us. But it's not that way for everyone else. And so what I often do is I get too in my head about how I'm perceiving things. And I forget that everyone does not, very solipsistic, everyone does not see things the way I do. And so I have to step back and allow myself to witness my own religion through others' eyes from time to time to remind myself how very special it actually is, how very dangerous how, how very exotic it truly is as a religion. It's part of what I love about this religion is the aesthetics, the rational self-interest, the, the challenging to improve yourself, to set goals and realize them, that, that the focus of the religion is on you and your real world engagement. That's what I love about it. And when I watch old series like The Addams Family and I see this sense of magic that immediately connected me with this religion, I'm instantly reminded about how truly magical we as Satanists really are, and how differently we truly look at the world because of this religion, because we were just born with these questioning inquisitive minds, these challenging notions. We don't have to always agree on anything fact that we push back that's magic and i love that all right what are you guys saying here do you tell people you're religious or do you deny it i don't really (laughs) deny anyway. my name is adam campbell and (laughs) i'm a satanist i've never denied what i am um sometimes i don't overtly tell people because i read a room and i can tell whether or not it would work um to my benefit or not we're not martyrs um the bell for some reason brings a total sense of relaxation to you whenever you hear it yeah no absolutely i totally agree with that i mean it's it's pollutionary it clears the air that's why it's used in ritual because it is just that uh cos stands for we are atheists but we are zanus well actually it stands for church of satan (laughs) but i know you know that Uh, you see satanists as religious people but the difference in the god satanists follow is their own you must learn of their true nature to see their religiosity yeah yeah we are our own gods we are benevolent or demanding or vile gods and it's our choice how to and when to swing in those uh, extremes that's also a really potent aspect of this religion We don't have to rely on anyone else. We don't have to aspire to be some other entity or idea or person. We can just focus on who and what we are. That itself is a revolutionary idea. Um, All right. That being said... Uh, I'm not going to be able to go through all these. Uh, You find it interesting because you rarely lose my emotional reactions. It's hard for you to normalize something. Once you find something exotic, it's very easy to emotionally pull these things up again. See, yeah, it's actually a big struggle for me, which is why I talk about it in this way. Um, Which is why I, you know, if I'm not writing essays, I'm speaking to it in in, uh, video form. I'm somehow recapturing what I adore about it. Um... Because I do tend you know exposure breeds familiarity, and there's nothing exotic with familiarity to me. Um, it's like it, there was a, in the first greater magic discussion I had, and Magister uh, Bill M was talking about well i I had challenged this idea that uh there's nothing inherently magic about candles, but we use candles. And um, he had pushed back in some way. I can't remember because this was years ago that we had the conversation. But it was the idea that, of course, you know, candles are just inordinate objects. They're just normal, you know, items. But in the context of a ritual, they're actually very magical. And so I always have to remind myself to think of things in context, to think of things in perspective. And that helps me a lot. So at any point when I find myself reflecting on Satanism as mundane or normal or safe, because it can be presented that way. And there are groups out there that are trying to push it to be that way. I just remind myself of the people, Satanists, um, the organization, the hierarchy, uh, the founding documents the satanic bible just those words the satanic bible i mean that's fucking magic all right so that's what i wanted to talk about just have a little bit of fun you know <laughs> dig in a little bit to uh, satanism have a little bit of fun you're burning a candle right now that's great man it's good um <laughs> yeah i wouldn't get too hung up on on colors of candles and stuff it's fun and stuff but don't get too hung up on it Let's let's do a little infernal format. Uruguay, huh? I know some people in Uruguay. I work with them professionally. That's cool. Thanks for joining live, by the way. Okay, so, um this first one, let me throw up the image. This is a lot of fun. I love this stuff. I am a sucker for human evolution, ancient history, um ancient peoples because again, it's there's mystery there. There, there is lost ancient wisdom due to countless cataclysms in our human history where we have literally lost tons of information about ancient peoples or overtly destroyed that information. And so I'm always not only enraged by that, but then thrilled when new information comes to light that's not the case with this story so let me dive into it and then we're going to talk about it in just here a second i ate right before during this show which was a huge mistake and so now i'm getting a little indigestion sorry egypt uncovers more than 100 sarcophagi in ancient burial ground this is an abcnews.go article egypt unearthed more than 100 sarcophagi in Saqqara on Saturday, the same ancient burial ground where dozens of coffins were also found last month, as the country continues to make major discoveries in its bid to lure back tourists. That line is important. In its bid to lure back tourists. Not to uncover ancient truths or histories, but to lure back tourists. Okay, I'll continue. The coffins were exhumed from three burial shafts that are 12 meters deep. The head of Egypt's Supreme Council of Antiquities, Mostafa el-Waziri, said, adding to the 59 sarcophagi discovered last month in the same area, which served as the necropolis for the ancient capital of Memphis, a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Quote, It's the biggest discovery of 2020, but we are not stopping here yet. The discovery of one burial shaft leads to another. Antiquities minister's Khalid El Anani told reporters. Shikara hasn't yet revealed one percent of its secrets. We can find tombs and burial shafts in every single spot in this area. Some of the newly uncovered coffins, which were colored and sealed, were displayed in a makeshift tent overlooking the steppe pyramid of Djoser in the vast necropolis. The gilded and wooden sarcophagi included mummies of priests and high-ranking officials belonging to the late and Ptolemaic periods dating back more than 2,500 years. El Waziri said Egyptian missions were also stepping up their efforts to locate the, worship where, uh, the workshop where the coffins were made. He attributed the discrepancy to the sarcophagi's colors and shapes to the financial muscle of their owners, with some able to pay for gilded coffins, while others only capable of paying for wooden ones. Funerary masks and 40 fu- uh, wooden statues of Saqqara goddess Ptah Soker were also found in the burial shafts. Egyptian archeologists performed a CT scan on one of the mummies during the announcement saying the deceased had died in his forties and that he didn't suffer any chronic diseases. Saqqara is home to 13 pyramids, including Djoser, which is deemed the oldest stone structure of its size in the world. A string of discoveries have been made here in the past few years, including the unearthing of a 4,400 year old tomb of royal priest Waiti. In 2018, and the discovery of hundreds of mummified animals and statues a year later, Egypt hoards its major discoveries. I'm sorry, hopes its major discoveries will help revive its vital tourism industry, which took a fresh blow because of the COVID-19 pandemic, just when it had begun to recover from the aftermath of uprisings and civil unrest in 2011 and 2013 with the Arab Springs. Okay, um, when when archaeology is done to learn information, uh, to discover truths of human existence, I'm all for it. When it's done to exhume sarcophagi to put in a museum so that people will come and pay a ticket to look at them, what are we doing at that point? That's not archeology, span that's grave robbing. That's a completely different frame of mind. It's not for science. It's not for history. It's for tourism. That's disgusting. Here's something to consider. What if we started digging up your relatives? What if we started digging up uh, your aunt... (laughs) Aunt Jemima. We we dug up your Aunt Jemima and we put her up just like the jar and next to an Aunt Jemima jar and said, Hey, that's the the Aunt Jemima that the, the brand was made after. Would you be okay with that? How about we start raiding some Indian burial grounds? We dig up those Indians, those native peoples, and let's put them on display. Why are we okay doing that for some cultures, but we're not okay doing it for other cultures? It seems a little strange to me i think it's because we have exoticized is that a word we have made this idea of egyptian ancient egypt with magic and mummies and biblical references and the ark and the covenant we've made it into a saturday morning cartoon instead of ancient history these Aren't telling us, these sarcophagi aren't telling us anything about our past. It's literally just a burial ground. This is just a cemetery. That's all it is. And they're digging up the coffins. (laughs) At what point do we as a human species just say enough is enough? We have enough sarcophagi. We understand some really interesting parts of our ancestry, of uh, the ancient peoples of Egypt. If there are discoveries that continue to dig, of course, by all means. And if you find them, well, we have video. We have photos. Leave it in place, document it. You don't have to pull everything out and put it in a damn case. I don't know what we're doing. This is disgusting to me. And as a kid, I loved it. I was so excited. Now, I, I find it genuinely vile. And it's not for anything but a dollar like we're they're chasing money that is vile (laughs) what's wrong with people all right what are you guys saying in here um i'm trying to you guys are talking about something else it's grave robbing if it's in the family (laughs) yeah no that's true if it's in the family it's grave robbing um and again, it's all perspective, right? <laughs> because uh, if we did just do this to our forefathers, you know, let, let's dig up uh, Washington and Jefferson and Franklin, and let's put their corpses on display and, and have them uh, do a tour of all museums around the country, then around the world. Because that's what we're doing with the pharaohs, you know? They were they were their leaders of the ancient peoples of Egypt. We're, we're doing the exact same thing. It's just a little more time between. <laughs> so I guess that span of time makes it okay. I guess. Yeah, there are some sick bastards out there. <laughs> What's the culture appropriation arguments regarding this one? Um, I don't know if it's called cultural appropriations um by digging them up because again it started by discovery you know we were learning about ancient egypt um but for this they're just digging up coffins and then they're pulling them out and they're saying oh we found a hundred yay okay but what did you learn about it well nothing except that there was a hundred coffins in this area that's all you learned about it there's no historical references to be pulled from that there's no ancient wisdoms to be gleaned from that these are just poor people, as it outlined in the article itself. They weren't even uh, wealthy enough to uh, gild their coffins in most cases. This wooden, carved, sarcophagi. <laughs> guy. Like, come on now. Ooh, is linen still on display? See, the Russians had it on. They knew what they were doing. <laughs> um, and I don't really care about appropriating other cultures if you find something about that culture significant because that's how cultures live on right um and so if it's something that you're passionate about then by all means you know i people from the old world often complain about how americans capitalize on their ancestry saying that i'm irish or i'm scottish or i'm german or i'm english when really you're just a mutt nowadays right but all we're doing is respecting and being excited and celebrating where some of our ancestors came from. What's negative about that? And so, if you're appropriating someone else's culture and you're doing it for your own self-satisfaction, well, by all means, I don't, I have no problem with that at all. Um, if it's something like Native peoples and you're getting in line ahead of them by appropriating their culture and preventing them from being able to um, share in the same opportunities well then that that's kind of (laughs) shitty but i don't really have a dog in that fight so i don't i don't care that much if i'm being honest um so celebrate by all means if you like egyptian culture fucking dress yourself up like the fucking pharaohs of old i don't care you know learn the ancient tongues and speak them. I don't I don't really care about that. But if we're just digging up coffins for the sake of digging up coffins on the hopes that someone is going to come look at this coffins that you just dug up, you're fucking pathetic. And you've admitted that you no longer have anything significant to offer and you are just scraping the bottom of the barrel at this point. So why would anyone want to go to Egypt and stare at a fucking poor person's sarcophagus? What is what, what are you going to be learning from that? You already have some of the wonders of the world there. If they're not coming for that, to see the Sphinx, they're not going to come to look at a wooden fucking sarcophagus. What, what are you actually saying here? <laughs> Pretty ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I understand that. Um, I understand your point, Valeria. Um, so I I just I, I get I get tired of seeing this I am just I'm kind of done. How many different documentaries are you going to watch where they ignore um they ignore the tales and they ignore the uh, geological evidence that the old kingdom was not the beginning of the Egyptian culture and they just try to stay within this archaeological um, uh, mindset of what was established in the 18th century about Egyptians must still be true today, no matter what evidence is found to the contrary. And then you're not actually questioning anything. You're not actually discovering anything new. No matter how many coffins you dig up of whatever significance of the the corpse in that coffin, if you're not going to apply the information to adjust the view of that culture with that information, you might as well not have dug it up at all. The point of archaeology is to discover ancient peoples, right? Learn where we came from. Learn lessons of our histories. But that means you have to break out of these established ideas and, and start challenging the, the 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 industry, as they're saying right here. It's just for the dollar. They wanna. Archaeology has become a tourist trade crazy it's crazy all right traditions can be dangerous if not re-examined from time to time yeah that's true you've seen king tut so how different can it be (laughs) exactly (laughs) that's a really good point man all right um oh damn man my hair's all curly it's killing me okay let's do this next one because it's fun we're talking about thanksgiving or if you prefer gluttony day if you're not in the Americas, you can still celebrate the holiday. It's Gluttony Day because all it is is about... <laughs> it's funny because we're re-examining in America. I don't know if this is happening around the world, but certainly it's happening in America. We're re-examining um, historical figures and uh, holidays based around events. Realizing the truths behind them rather than just sort of mythologizing them. And Thanksgiving is actually just a celebration of us coming over and, you know, preemptorily committing genocide on an entire group of people um, as, as Europeans. That, that's what we're celebrating. We would have died as settlers had it not been for those native peoples that we then went slaughtering. And so, happy Thanksgiving! that's really what it's about (laughs) it's pretty crazy man um okay so this article (laughs) i i love to eat i love food uh i I just you need it to live no shit but when it's rich and it's fatty and it's buttery and it's sweet and savory and salty and delicious that's thanksgiving not and and not only that but also thanksgiving as a holiday is, is about reconnecting with your family traditionally Um, and so, you know, that sort of Norman Rockwell painted image that never really existed (laughs) of all the family, you know, with that big turkey and, and mom's putting down the stuffing and, and dad's sitting over in the corner, you know, sort of, uh, eyeing all the food and family and stuff. Eh, it never really happens like that, but that's sort of that warm imagery of America is all about marketing. If you haven't figured that out yet, all of it, the entire culture of America is informed completely by marketing and advertising. Uh, Everything you believe to be normal is virtually a lie. (laughs) It has all been made up and you believe it because you've been told it. But the truth of history is much different than what we believe it to be. That being said, Thanksgiving for me is, you know, gathering with family and friends and just sort of hanging out, drinking probably way too much, eating certainly way too much and just laughing and talking and connecting um i i get this warm sense of comfort and happiness when i think about thanksgiving and so this year it's going to be very very difficult because one we're not going to have anyone over i am i have asthma and and so uh, it's i I don't want to risk anything you know to get covid so i'm going to take proper precautions But you don't have to go crazy and cancel everything. This article is gonna give some uh, pretty solid ideas about how you can alter this holiday if you engage in it and how to alter it for the current pandemic um, safely. So let's dive into it. Tips for uh, hosting a smaller, safer, successful pandemic Thanksgiving dinner. This is from the Seattle Times and uh, it goes as follows. Thanksgiving is coming up, and in normal years, that typical, uh, typically means feasts and large gatherings with friends and family. But due to the pandemic, the holiday is going to look a lot different this year. Here's what health officials are suggesting as we approach the holiday season, and how you can adapt your meal preparations for a smaller crowd. Here are things that you can do to mitigate the risks of spreading the coronavirus. While noting nothing is foolproof, layering several precautions will help make your Thanksgiving and other holiday gatherings safer. So, consider the following if you will. Limit your gatherings to fewer than five people. Hold your gatherings outside or in well-ventilated open spaces where people can spread out. Do not travel or invite people who would have to travel to attend your gathering. Ensure that everyone wears masks while not eating. Plate food beforehand or have everyone bring their own food to minimize touching surfaces. Only invite people who are in your COVID pod and those you connect with. Connect virtually with friends who may be immunocompromised at risk of contracting COVID-19 or those who are showing any signs of sickness. And consider the safety of those who are more vulnerable, particularly the elderly or those with conditions that put them more at risk of contracting the virus. So you can still do everything you did before, just be a little more conscious about it. You know, Maybe not go to grandma's house uh, when... If she gets coronavirus, she's probably, you know, she doesn't have a very good um, possible outcome or <laughs> chances. They're looking better now with new treatments, but still, it's a risk that you probably shouldn't take. Um, if you're adamant about having a turkey-centered meal, there are still ways you can adapt to a smaller dinner. Uh, Christina... Glenoga, a Seattle-based butcher, recommends breaking your turkey down before cooking it, and either saving some pieces in your freezer or splitting the bird with another household. The whole big, beautiful turkey is a kind of American myth, a la Norman Rockwell aesthetic, but more often than not, that doesn't create the best eating experience, says Glenora. There are a lot of people that have heavy preference for dark versus white meat, so it might be beneficial to reach out to your friends. You can buy a turkey together, break it down, and split it up. 2020 has thrown a lot of curveballs at us and so much is different but it's all about really uh it's also a really good opportunity for us to reassess what is important to our thanksgiving meals no matter what kind of event you're hosting it's best to start planning as soon as possible to accommodate future preparation and guests in the past poor planning meant salmonella or dry turkey but poor planning could now uh now could possibly extending the pandemic or potentially hosting super spreader events. But even with distanced or online gatherings, we can still have a lot of human connection during the holidays. Ultimately, it's always best to err on the side of caution. If you want to include friends or family who are at more risk of contracting the virus, hold a virtual Thanksgiving meal. Uh, Beyond just Zoom calling, here are some ways that you can stay safe even when connected. If friends or family live nearby, do a food swap. You can do a no-contact drop-off at their home and eat the same meal together over a video call. Have a cook-off. Make the same meal as others and compare your results. Order takeout from the same restaurant and share the same meal. Take the virtual event as an opportunity to host friends and family who live too far away to normally visit for Thanksgiving. I think a lot of these are really great ideas for altering And this is what I think is so important about living through a pandemic. And it's something that we have should have learned by now is that you don't want to stop life. You don't want to halt everything because that makes everything worse. You just adjust the way you see normality, right? So I remotely work rather than driving through a canyon to go to the office. Um... I I do a lot more phone calls rather than driving to people's houses and, and, uh, you know, interacting with them. You don't have to stop living. You just have to alter the ways that you do live. I still go outside and enjoy walks and hikes and stuff like that. It's just now I bring a mask with me. And whenever I'm around someone else, I put the mask on. When they go away, I take it off. That way I alter my behavior a little bit for safety, but I don't stop living. I don't allow this virus to dictate my experience. And certainly you don't have to do that with this holiday. Again, it's family connections. It doesn't mean you have to be in touch and distance. <laughs> you know, I mean, sometimes it's better not to be when your crazy aunt or uncle starts spouting off whatever crazy sociopolitical ideas they have. And all you don't want to do is like bitch slap them. Well, this way you can't bitch slap them you can just mute their ass <laughs> much safer and everyone's much happier by doing it let's see um whoa what are you guys talking about lemons we can do a legit thanksgiving if we handed out covid blankets at the end of it. <laughs> it's very true <laughs> a very spanish thanksgiving <laughs> Uh, We just cough on all the plates. Here you go, Mama. That's messed up. (laughs) It's messed up. Uh, That's how you feel when Christmas comes around, the way you feel about Thanksgiving. Yeah, yeah. I feel that way about Christmas as well. I'm a Satanist who actually likes Christmas. I like the lights. I like the music. You give me some Bing Crosby, and I'm a happy Satanist. Uh, At Christmas, not other than that. Sylvester Stallone said uh, we should just order pizza and the best hot dogs in town this Thanksgiving. I mean, if he wants to, that's cool. I'm still gonna have a fucking turkey. I love me some turkey. I love turkey sandwiches the next day. I love turkey soup. I love just taking the meat out of the bag when it's all that congealed grease and fat and slime and just chewing it. I love it all. I love the crispy skin on Thanksgiving. That turns into this weird, congealed, rubbery skin afterward. It's never quite the same, but I still eat it because I like the t- the flavor. My wife like shoves herbs and butter underneath the skin. Ugh, so good. So good. Um, all right. So anyway, uh, you just said tasted turkey once, as it's not common locally. Yeah. Well, and that's the other thing is you know, gluttony day is what you make of it, right? I would be a very content Satanist if. My gluttony day consisted just of tacos. Oh, come on. <laughs> ah, give me some pork tacos or some nice ground beef. Ugh, oh, oh, I'd be a happy camper. Um, or, I mean, if it was just a pie giving, right? It was just gluttony day, pie all day. I would be a happy saying this. Um, So just, we don't have to stay confined to what has been We can adjust whatever we want and make it our own and make it fun. We don't have to be miserable in this pandemic. So don't be. Make the choice and don't be. Um, And maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll get on a call and we can all just get on a Zoom call together and drink and eat on a massive, not Zoom, but like a Google meetup or something. Or or Skype or something. That would be kind of fun. See everyone's greasy fingers and greasy faces drunk as shit i'd tune into that that'd be fun all right um that's really all i want to talk about about thanksgiving it's just supposed to be fun that's all let's do a little creature feature See, Brendel flies enjoying Gluttony Day. (laughs) He's eating that dude's hand. (laughs) What if that's how you had to eat? You had to vomit on stuff to pre-digest it before you swallowed it. Oh. Oh. Oh, God. All right. um, There's one reason why I'm talking about this. And uh, I'm going to get to that in a second. But first, I'll set it all up and I'll explain everything. (laughs) But there's only one reason why I watched this film. So this is Enola Holmes. This is on Netflix. It's a 2020 mystery film based on the first book in the young adult fiction series by Nancy Springer. The logline is as follows. When Enola Holmes, Sherlock's teen sister, discovers her mother missing, she sets off to find her, becoming a super sleuth in her own right, as she outwits her famous brother and unravels a dangerous conspiracy around a mysterious young lord. This is very Nancy Drew. It's very hardy boys. And th- those are references I grew up with. I don't know what you guys would call it. Um, you know, what newer references there would be. But this is just a-, a kid uncovering a sinister plot, really. But it's done in 18th century or 17th century um, England. And she just happens to be the younger sister of Sherlock Holmes. So, Millie Bobby Brown. All Stranger Things, uh, and Godzilla, the latest one, um, plays Enola Holmes, the young lady, her brother, Sherlock Holmes, and this is the reason why I watched this, is played by Henry Cavill, and holy shit, Henry Cavill has remained on the very top of my top five h and if you don't know what that is, I'll explain it after the show. But, top five H&H, Henry Cavill, you are right there. He is a BAD-ASS Sherlock Holmes. Ah, okay. So, if you just think of him as Superman, you're missing out. He's actually got some some acting chops. It's a lot of fun. And he looks great doing it. Okay, so, again, this is directed by Harry Bradbeer, and it's from a screenplay by Jack Thorne. Uh, Sam Claffin plays uh, Enola's other brother mycroft holmes who's a bit of a douchebag and then helena bonham carter plays eudoria holmes which is the mom of all three of them and then um part of where the story actually goes is uh from lewis partridge's character Tewksbury. he's like this royal heir to a family who is shirking his royal duties and trying to run away from home but the truth is the crux of this is that while enola holmes is looking for her mother which is the inciting incident the true point of this film is her discovering why to tewksbury left home uh who's trying to capture slash kill him and then expose them as the criminals that they are that's the point of the show and um, the reason why I loved, enjoyed it other than Henry Cavill, that is, um, Millie Bobby Brown's great. She is great in this. I mean, genuinely good. She's, she's a great actor. Uh, but the writing is so good. The thing is, is like, this is, this is like, a, a Deadpool type, movie i mean because it's breaking the fourth wall right she's talking to you the audience she's asking you questions when she's confused about how to proceed in a situation it's really entertaining and engaging the way that they filmed this and it's confronting the the ideas of what a woman and what a girl were supposed to be in the time of the 17th 18th centuries um versus You know, that's during the time of women's suffrage movement was beginning. So maybe it's 19th century. Um, Anyway, (laughs) whatever era it's set in. um, It's the beginning of the women's suffrage movement in England. And uh, it's it's just... Watching how everyone reacts to her in the time is how they would have reacted to her. But she's reacting as an individual, uh, an independent young woman, in our time. So... The, the perspective is very interesting and twisted in that way, which is what kept me engaged because it was a really wonderful time travel device, but then sort of turning all of that upending it on its own head for the sake of good acting, good writing, and a lot of just good old fashioned fun in a film um, and Henry Cavill. <laughs> uh, here's some interesting uh, turnabout from this, right? The Conan Doyle estate filed a lawsuit against Netflix over the film. They claimed that it violates the copyright by depicting Sherlock Holmes as having emotions. (laughs) They argue the aspect of the character does not fall under the public domain as he was only described as having emotions in stories published between 1923 and 1927, and the copyright for these stories published in that period still have not expired under copyright law in the United States. So they were trying to say, because you're showing Sherlock Holmes as having emotions, and he only had emotions in these stories that are not yet public domain, you owe us money. Well, in October 30th, 2020, lawyers for the defendants filed a motion to dismiss, saying that the estate was unfairly attempting to prevent the fair use of characters that are, quote, undeniably in the public domain, as Sherlock Holmes absolutely is. So, it'll be interesting to see where that Turns out, going um, whether or not you can actually, um, yeah. Well, you know them and uh, the Conan Doyle estate and the uh, J.R.R. Tolkien estate. You know they are, they're anal. They they want a specific vision and only that vision and only in that vision's time will they want to alter it. Um, I don't think that you know it doesn't matter. The film's already made. If you've watched it, you've watched it, and I highly recommend you do because it's fun. But I always saw Sherlock Holmes as emotionless. And watching Henry Cavill's performance in this, and he even stated this after the fact, is that um, it was written with much more emotion. And he actually dialed it back. Because he thought it would be better to play the Sherlock that everyone's familiar with. The very analytical, very emotionless, very um, invested in science and discovery version of Sherlock Holmes. Which I appreciated. Um, But there are moments... Where his emotion sort of peeks through and of course it's in connection with enola his younger sister um and i like that about it uh i feel like if if sherlock holmes you know that sort of mind it would be similar to like um um uh, oh uh why am i drawing a blank stephen hawking right he was married he has kids i'm sure he had emotions with them right But he was very strict when it came to astrophysics. I think you you can walk and chew gum at the same time, people. (laughs) You don't have to be a devoid, emotionless machine and be good at something. You know, again, it's it's all just a fictional character. So let's have some fun with it, for fuck's sake. So I highly recommend you watch this. It got rave reviews uh, by everyone that's reviewed it. Every critic that's seen it loved it. Audiences have, you know, favorably turned to it. And I wouldn't have watched it if it wasn't for Henry Cavill. And I'm glad I did watch it because Millie Bobby Brown was fantastic. The story was fun. The writing was great. So I had a good time. My wife and I were laughing and, uh, you know, just enjoying ourselves the whole time we watched it. So I recommend you do the same. And that's it. That's all I have for this episode. Um... It's definitely not interview with the vampire at all not even close so definitely don't let that <laughs> connect with you yeah that's that's a good point Zachary what is emotionless um, okay so really quick because I mentioned top five h and h i'm gonna I'm gonna explain what that is before I close out the show um, so you know it, most people have jokingly I, I've heard of this my entire you know, youth growing up to an adult is that it's tongue in cheek, but every couple has like a list that it's okay to cheat on if it was with some famous person that you would never be able to fuck in the first place. Right. But if that opportunity came about, it wouldn't be cheating because they're on your list. That is your one cheat that you can have. Right. It's, it's sort of tongue in cheek thing that, that, uh, adults have. Well, I've extrapolated that out to a list of five Heterosexual, and homosexual. (laughs) So, I don't just want to cheat with one person. I want to cheat with a bunch of people that I'll never have the option to cheat with. But, sometimes, some guys make me question how straight I am. And so, I wanted to make it a little bit of fun and throw some of them in there, too. So, of course, there's going to be gorgeous women in there. But Henry Cavill, come on! Come on! (laughs) If you've never seen him in a suit, you don't know what I'm talking about. No, I'm not talking about a super suit. <laughs> I'm talking about a tailored suit. The man is a fucking Greek god. So, yeah. Top five h <laughs> That's what it means. Top five homosexual or heterosexual cheats that you would be able to have <laughs> with your partner. <laughs> uh, okay. Not that I ever would, but it's fun. And it's all meant for fun anyway, you know. I don't even know how I would fuck a guy. Because I've never done it. It would be weird. It would be awkward. Um, But I'd give it a go for Henry Cavill. (laughs) bumping things. (laughs) Sword fighting a lot. It would be a lot like being a kid again, you know? A lot of, like, lightsaber fights with your peas stream. (laughs) Like, spitting distance type stuff. I don't know. You know, stuff like that. Who can light a fart on fire? I don't know what what guys do nowadays. I feel like I've been at, like, a... Adult parent for so long. I don't even know what it means to be a kid anymore. Um, all right, so that's an, that's it. All I had for this show. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. <laughs> a little bit of levity, a little bit of fun for this week's episode. Last week was pretty intense and heavy with sociopolitical stuff. I like to bring it up a little bit. You know, ease up on the sociopolitical some from time to time. Yeah, you totally is, Sean. Hell yeah. Um, all right, that's it. If you guys want to support what I'm doing here, all you got to do is hit that subscribe button. Maybe click that little like button if you like the show. And if you really liked it, I don't know, share it, show it to some other people. That'd be kind of cool too. But you don't have to. You can always become a member. But if you become a member, all you're going to get are access to some videos and uh, little emojis that are specific to this channel. And if that's worth a buck to you, then become a member too. (laughs) It's totally up to you. No pressure. It's all for fun. All right. Um, don't cross the streams. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you said not to cross the streams. Until um, next week, everyone. <laughs> don't take things so seriously. And hail Satan.